0: you've been hearing the phrase uh, and you're going to keep hearing the phrase. It's just, it's going to be a big week. All right. A lot of times we're just pushing right through and, and, and we love celebrating um, the last week of Jesus and the crucifixion and the resurrection. And we don't like to do everything the same every year, but this year we are really Um, um, emphasizing, if you will, the fact that it is just going to be a big week. We have uh, wonderful things going on and planned. Of course, next Sunday is what we call Palm Sunday. Uh, The week after that is Easter. And during that week, we're going to have Palm Sunday morning. We're going to have a worship night on Wednesday night. We're going to have a, a luncheon kind of prayer time in the fellowship hall together on that Friday, Saturday is a family day scavenger hunt and lunch together here for all who want to attend. And then of course, Sunday is Easter. So it's a big week uh, around around here and we are excited about it. So um, in preparation for that, uh, in my mind, I see this playing out something like this. Gethsemane, Golgotha, and glory, all right? That's kind of where my mind is working through the next three weeks. Gethsemane, Golgotha, and then glory, all right? And and that which God brought, His Son brought, and, and I'm excited about it. So today, we head to the garden. But as we head into the garden, I need you to be thinking not about one garden, but about two gardens. I hope that you can understand and comprehend the connections between what happened in the Garden of Eden and what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane. The history, the the representation of the salvation of all mankind, the story of the scriptures literally happens in two gardens, the Garden of Eden and in the Garden of Gethsemane. So today, we are going to be there. Uh, I have a ton of scriptures. We're not going to go through them all. I just wanted to have them available in case anybody asked or in case I forgot all that was going on in my head, all right? But we're in Mark. We're in Mark chapter 14, all right? And uh, th- at the end of the message today, you'll see why, in fact, we chose Mark. I came across something that I'd never heard before, something that's absolutely, it's not terrifying. Um, it's also um, not strange, but it is something that I, I had I had never heard, and I... You'll see, you'll see, all right? So when they had sung a hymn, all right? So they have had the Lord's Supper now. They have had their time together. Jesus has broken the bread. They have drank from the cup. He has told them over and over and over again, the temple will be destroyed and in three days it will be rebuilt. He has said this, he has predicted this and here's what happened. They went to the Mount of Olives. You will all fall away. Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Now this is a throwback to the Old Testament. He is quoting Old Testament scripture here. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter declared, even if everyone falls away, I will not, oh, Pete. Truly, I tell you, today, yes, even tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. Not only are you going to disown me, little brother, it won't happen once, it won't happen twice, it will happen thrice, all right? And I think it's an interesting throwback. We use the word rooster here, but in the King James Version, the story goes that when the cock crows three times, correct? What is a word for an arrogant individual? We call them, you think that's coincidence? You think it's coincidence that Peter got a little cocky? And then Jesus says, well, before the cock crows three times, you will disown me. Pride cometh before the fall. But Peter insisted. Oh, boy. Now, listen, how many of you just wanna shake your head and go, oh, Pete? How many of you are like, man, okay, nobody? Why not? Ah, see, I have this thing going on inside of me where I'm like, Pete, you are such a, oh, that's me. Oh, that's me, right, right, right? They went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. So uh, the way this plays out is the disciples have followed him up the hill and some of them stop and he asked them to pray. And then the four of them, Jesus, Peter, James, and John, move a little further on and he says, I need you near me. All right. But the idea is, but I have to do the last part alone. Very, very symbolic of what's about to happen. I need you with me, but I have to do the last part alone. Stay here and pray. And he knows how hard this is going to be. We're going to strike down the shepherd and the sheep are going to scatter. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watching. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Listen, Abba Father, let this cup pass from me but not my will but yours be done then returning to the disciples he found them sleeping simon are you asleep couldn't you keep watch for just one hour watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation the spirit is willing the flesh is weak and once more he went away and he prayed again listen he prayed again and it says the same prayer and i think it's worth hearing again father If there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. And when he came back again, he found them asleep. Returning a third time, are you still sleeping? All right, then it says, rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. It's important for us to understand. The efficacy from last week, the efficiency of God's plan. Okay? Jesus didn't end up in the Garden of Gethsemane because that's where they happened to be. Jesus didn't end up in the Garden of Gethsemane because that's where people went after dinner. Jesus didn't end up climbing, listen, the Mount of olives into the garden of gethsemane by happenstance he didn't take the disciples who were going to be scattered with him by happenstance he didn't take the three on which one of he says i will build my church by happenstance he didn't speak directly to the one who would deny him amidst his own arrogance by happenstance none of it Is by happenstance here's the thing we know that Jesus came that the son was sent to die and we assume that Jesus knew from the time he was very young that he was going to die for the people but that is absolutely incorrect all right this wasn't decided in the garden this wasn't decided at his birth this was decided when the fruit was bitten In the Garden of Eden, God knew. God's plan was set into motion hundreds, thousands of years prior. I will now chase them down. The shepherd will die for the sheep. The general will take the blame for the soldiers. There's a story about uh Dwight Eisenhower. And it says that, that uh, three, what is it, 300,000 right, uh, uh, troops are set in motion uh, on D Day to, to push back Hitler, one of the deadliest days in history. And, 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 and the story goes that the night before this was to take place, he goes out to the, I think it's the 101st Airborne, and they're called the Screaming Eagles, right? And he walks around. Four star general Dwight Eisenhower walking around as they're as they're cleaning and 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 doing mechanical work on the planes. And they say he's shaking hands and speaking with every one of these young men who are young enough to be his sons. And they say he spoke to him as if they were his sons, giving them encouragement, telling them thank you, putting his hand on their shoulders. And they say there's an image of him with his hands sunk deeply in his pockets, tears filling his eyes as those planes took off, because he knew, he knew it was like likely they weren't coming back and he left that morning and went to his office sat down and wrote a letter that was to be delivered to the White House in case they failed and it simply said our battle has been lost the army the navy and the troops on the ground did all they could the blame rests squarely on my shoulders that was the note Before the battle had played out, the general was ready to take the sacrifice. Before the battle played out, God knew. It is crafted for you. It was set in motion for you. It's called Gethsemane for you. Does anyone remember? Uh, it was probably about two years ago. I got a mmm out of Cassandra when she figured out where we were going. In, in in the in the Old Testament, there's a machine called the Gat Shamanim. The Gat Shamanim, and it's a giant stone a circle with a giant stone heavy thousands of pounds stone wheel that is pushed either by hand or by an ox and it is to press and crush the olives so that the oil is spilled out and the spirituality behind that is that it was olive oil that was rubbed on people as as a, as a as a um release of sins as a blessing of the holy spirit all right and in gat Shamanim the soul, the body of Jesus would be what? Crushed, his blood would be what? Spilled out, why? To bring hope, to bring healing, to bring the spirit upon us. This was planned for you. When Jesus goes off and prays, John's account says he prays for himself. That's smart. Then he prays for the disciples. That was his boys. And then he prays for who? You. I pray not only for them alone, I pray also for everyone who will believe in me through their message. That's you. That's you. This was planned. The general knew when he went into battle this day, he wasn't coming home. He also knew that victory was near. He knew that victory was near. Tayson and I were talking the other day because he said, so, uh, you know, is Jesus God? Yes. Well, is God Jesus? Yes well how do we how do we understand that how do we comprehend that we were talking through it we were having a conversation and maybe he gets it all right now maybe he absolutely does not but we got to talk about the fact that yes god is jesus and yes jesus is god and they are the same but they are different all right and i have some very 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 firm core beliefs in my spirit about how the trinity plays itself out when i was in second third fourth grade i remember asking carol arnold i remember asking carol arnold if jesus and god are the same person who did he cry out to from the cross who did he cry out to from the cross i mean i'm 7 years old and i'm that doesn't play out for me all right and As you walk through this, let me tell you something. Your understanding of who God is and who Jesus is and who the Holy Spirit is changes everything. Because the key is that Jesus must be God. He must be God because we needed a perfect sacrifice. If there is no perfect sacrifice then there is no atonement for the sins of the world in order for someone to live life perfectly they can't be about god they can't know god they must Be God. And God made him who had no sin to become sin so that we might become his righteousness. Now beyond that, my God is yesterday, today, and forever. My God is eternal and there can be no death in the living God. So in order for him to die, he must be the son of man not just the Son of God, but also the Son of Man, 100% divine, but also 100% human. And he says, the Son of Man must suffer these things. And all the Jewish people would hearken back to Daniel when their vision of the Son of Man was Russell Crowe in gladiator on his horse, leading the charge, taking the victory. And Jesus says, wrong scene. It's later, in the dungeon, cheated, stabbed, broken, bruised, dying, but victory's coming. And so he must be man so that he might die. We see his understanding of the plan, and you've got to know this, Jesus didn't know from the time he was born, he didn't figure it out when he was a teenager. He knew from the beginning. How this is going to play out. But you have to to fall in love with him. And you have to see him. You have to see him in that garden. He saw us. He saw Adam. He saw Eve in the garden. And now we see him in the garden, bruised, broken, crushed. His spirit overwhelmed anxiety ridden to the point that as he sweated, the capillaries in his forehead broke open and blood was mingled with the sweat from his head. This is an emotional, this is a physically encapsulating moment. And he says something that we understand but don't expect. Here's what he says, dad, I don't want to. That's what he said. Dad, I don't want to. We're we we are living in the age where 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 the Greeks and 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 the Romans have fought the major battles, and Rome is becoming. And this was the time of of Socrates and Euripides and all of those uh, uh, writers and philosophers. And they would stand out at the edge of the of the temples and the courts, and they would teach and they would preach. And um, when someone was condemned to die, one of the ways that they would do that is they would take a a, a cup shaped more like a bowl, and they would put hemlock in it. It was a poison, all right? And they would sit together. The person would not die alone. They'd sit together in the room, and each person would put the bowl up to their lips but would not drink. And then they would pass the cup to the next person, and the condemned would then drink, pass the cup, and eventually he would fall asleep and and die. The reference here, I I don't want to take the poison. I don't, I don't want to taste death, but I know the plan. Jeremiah, I I know the plan i don't think the plan i know the plan is to prosper and not to harm to bring hope in a future but in this moment i don't feel it church you're not always going to feel it in fact if you're headed in the right direction and you're in the flow being a disciple is costly denying self is costly taking up the cross is costly following jesus is costly All right? But that's why Paul, when he finally figured it out, maybe better than anybody ever said, hey, I have been crucified with Christ. I'm already dead. And yet I live not I, but Christ lives in me. And Jesus says, so I'll drink. but I don't want to. And I think there was a more horrifying moment. I want you to hear me. I'm gonna say a couple of things before we're done this morning that I believe here. I do. Craig believes this thing I'm about to say, right? The next thing, I don't know if I believe it or not, it's just really cool and I'm gonna share it with you, but this one, I believe. I've just never preached it as theology. You can argue with me all day long, but it's okay. We can agree, we can disagree, but I want you to hear me. When Jesus makes his way to the cross, I believe that, I believe that the, the Trinity and who it is is put to the ultimate test, all right? We talked about in our staff meeting, there are seven things that Jesus says from the cross, all right? And the very last one is, it is finished, all right? But the one before it, Lama, Lama, Elo Sabachthanah my God, my God, listen, why have you forsaken me? To forsake, to push away, to, to leave behind. Now hear me, I believe that this is the only moment in history where the Trinity is fractured. Don't believe it's broken, I don't believe it's a mistake. I believe it has to happen. I believe what we hear come out of the lips of Jesus is what is happening in the spiritual world. Before Jesus can die, the eternal must be gone. That which made him able to live sin free stayed with him all the way up to the moment before it was finished, right? And God has to separate his eternity, his spirituality from his son. From his son, he has to choose also in that moment to let the plan be. And God walks away and Jesus can now die. But in that moment, my God, my God, for an eternity we have been one. In this moment, we are not. Jesus dies so that you do not have to. And God is separate so that you never have to be. Oh, in the Garden of Eden, we were separated from God. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus chose to do what it takes to make sure we are reunited with him by being separated Himself. I want to go down now to this verse. Oh, they, they, they come to get him, right? There's so much more in here. I wish, I mean, I wish I could go on and on and on and preach. I, 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 there's too much, but I'm not, I'm not. They come, Judas kisses him on the cheek, whole nother sermon. There is a spear. S-P-E-I-R-A, a a legion, all right? And that could either mean, it could mean one of three things. Uh, Thing number one, a 300 member entourage, okay? 300 warriors, a 200 member set of warriors, or a 1,900 member set of warriors. Either way, when the government sent people to arrest Jesus, you always probably think of a a, a crew of people, four, five, six people, you know, to take him down a little SWAT team. Mm -hmm. At minimum, they sent 200 people after Jesus that night. And one of my favorite scenes in all of scripture that I, I would love to watch is when Jesus stands up and goes, loosely translated, I'm your huckleberry. That's loosely translated, that's what he says. And when the words come out of his mouth, the Bible says that something shook, that like a thunder, a wind, and blew down the entire army. I'm your huckleberry. Everybody falls. Hey, hey. Awesome, yes. But also very symbolic of what will happen on that day. Every knee. Every tongue that he is who he says he is. It's almost like he knew he was when he said, I am. And then Peter stands up because they come to grab him, cuts ears off, and Jesus is like, not, not, not the type, not yet, Pete. All right. Pops the air back on. <laughs> Jesus does this. And drag him away. I don't even, I don't even know if I ever noticed this verse. Okay? I am from this moment on, I'm telling you cool stuff and I'm putting an argument together. I am standing before you saying, I don't know if I believe this or not, but I love it. Ready? Anybody ever seen this verse right here? This is verse 51. This is the last verse of the chapter. So the arrest has occurred and they're leading Jesus away and there's this verse just hanging out here. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus when they seized him. And I'm missing something, but what it says after that is when they seized him, he was able to run away completely naked. He has a garment and all he has is a garment, all right? And then when Jesus is led off, he doesn't even have that. Okay, so let me tell you what I read now, okay? Almost all scholars, almost all scholars will say, I can go along with this young man being Mark. I can go along with this young man being Mark. Okay? The reason they go along with that is, Who told all of this story? If some of the disciples were here and some of the disciples were here and Jesus is here, they didn't see and hear the prayer. They didn't see and hear the blood, the sweat, and the tears. Somebody was near and watching and staying close. You say, well, maybe Matthew's account, maybe Luke's account. I've already taught you. Where did those accounts come from? Mark. Mark got most of his information from Peter. But here at the end, people in theology believe that the young man was Mark. A young man without a name who at the end of Jesus' life has nothing but a cloak. Now let me make one more reference. I'm reading a pastor's sermon on Smite the Shepherd. And he gets to this and he says this. He says, I've always thought, I've always believed that Mark is the young man in the story. Then he says this. I also believe that he is the rich young ruler who heard from Jesus that the way to life is go, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will find treasure in heaven and come follow me. Both of these things done To the extreme, at this the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Yet chapters later, there is a man with nothing but the shirt on his back following Jesus to the nth degree. Who even when Jesus is attacked, you ready for this? Loses everything that he has. But he has. I don't know, but it fits everything I know. To put it all away and follow Him completely. I now take you to another obscure verse that I wasn't ready for, but since I know the verse, I can tell you when Peter denies Christ, It says that everybody was scattered except Pete, but it says Peter followed and it uses three words that Max Lucado pointed out to me years ago that I've never forgotten. Peter followed, comma, at a distance. And I have preached this message before. If you follow Jesus at a distance, if you're just close enough to wear the t-shirt If you're just close enough to go on the mission trip, if you're just close enough to make sure people know you're a member somewhere, I promise you, you will deny him. But if you will, for lack of a better word, go all in, Jesus says, all that I have, is yours and the example right here. All the way to the end. I gave it all up to be near him at the end and though I lost it all, I have to believe with all my heart that there's only one story in all of the scripture where Jesus came face to face with an individual, shared the gospel with him and that person did not walk away changed. I now in the back of my mind believe this, that there was never anybody that Jesus looked eye to eye and shared the story with, that didn't find their way home. If he be lifted up, he will draw oh, to himself is he drawing you. Can't come part way. Partway is cocky. Partway is arrogant. Partway's all about you. It's all or nothing. And sometimes all leads to nothing. But that's why Jesus right before this story, right before this story, tells the story of what I call the five o'clock people. And finishes, the first shall be last. And the last shall be first. It was taken away in the Garden of Eden. It was restored in the garden of Gethsemane because Jesus finished with these words, not my will, but yours be done. Not halfway, all the way. And then Jesus stood up and said, let's roll. And he did. Pressed, crushed, persecuted. Abandoned and victorious. Let's pray. God, I pray that we find ourselves in the garden today. I pray that the Adamic nature within us that was was left us by the Garden of Eden will be fully shorn away and we will be as you made us. We will be as you called us. We will be yours. And we will find hope and joy and victory in you. God, thank you for the garden. Thank you for the prayers. Thank you for the plan, the plan to bring us home. Thank you for following through. In Jesus' name, amen.